This is going to be by far one of the most valuable podcasts that we have launched so far. Agreed. There is just an unbelievable amount of just important information. And Dr. Ashley has so much knowledge around functional and holistic health. It was, I got goosebumps a couple of times throughout the episode. It was amazing. And she's such an idol too, because she takes life in such a slow and mindful way. I'm obsessed with her approach to life and to health. And then we also dug into self-publishing and how she self-published her books. And she talked about all of the nitty gritty details that I feel like if you're interested at all in self-publishing and what that looks like, you will so appreciate all of her honesty and authenticity around what it was like. Yep. And then we also talked about supplements and what a day in her life looks like while she's homeschooling, which was really interesting. So without further ado, let's get into it. Welcome everyone to the Flourish We Grow Together. This is Laura DeFrancesco, founder and CEO of Flourish Coworking Space, a lush, sustainable, and inspiring space to co-work and host events located in Westchester, PA, and brought to you virtually by the We Grow Together podcast. I'm so excited. I have Lindsay DeFrancesco and Casey Fluharty with me as our hosts, of course, and then it's going to be an incredible, incredible conversation with Dr. Ashley Turner. Dr. Ashley Turner, could you please introduce yourself? Hello, everybody. Lindsay, Casey, Laura, thanks so much for inviting me on to talk with you all today. Um, Yeah, so I'm Dr. Ashley Turner. I am a board-certified doctor of holistic health and a traditionally trained naturopathic doctor, and I live here in Chester County, Pennsylvania, and just have a sweet family. I am married to my best friend, Dr. Kevin Turner. He's a chiropractor in the area, and we have three precious baby girls. Well, I guess they're not quite so baby anymore, and I homeschool them. I have the privilege of being home with them for the most part, and yeah, that's a little bit about me. We also have a a little chunk of property here that we love kind of dabbling in homestead life and having animals and a garden and just slowing down a little bit, so... And I would literally encourage everyone to go to Ashley Turner's Instagram because it's unbelievably beautiful. Her babies are so, so cute. They're like the most beautiful little blonde girls. And all your pictures are just so beautiful. Um, You just have the most inspiring (laughs) Instagram page. I think our first question is probably we um, are interested in knowing like how you got your start. I, I have your book, so I know Um, you and I think one of your daughters were suffering a little bit from chronic illness and just how you kind of began to get inspired to do the work that you're doing now with holistic health. Yeah. Yeah. It's actually been quite a significant journey and one that really started as I became a mother. You know, I had many at this point, looking back, chronic symptoms that you know, was, were, have been written off, you know, the, oh, you're fine, you're normal, it's, you know, just normal, you know, physiology, and, you know, okay, you know, that's fine, um, but when I became a mother, and um, one of our daughters really, really struggled, you know, despite, you know, my background in 
holistic health. Um, my husband at the time had finished chiropractic school. And so even just, I hadn't um, had formal training yet, but I was just so interested in stewarding the body well and eating well. So I went, when we fast forward and had our baby who was having severe symptoms. So she had severe gastrointestinal issues and um, as well as neurological symptoms. In fact, for a long time, we thought she was on the autism spectrum and I'll get into, you know, more of her diagnosis later on. But, you know, it really, <laughs> my, my world kind of crumbled and my husband's. I mean, we just were like, we're in this position. We thought we had done everything right. And here's our baby who is just suffering and can hardly make it through the day without just severe symptoms. So we had to step back. And um, of course, we went straight to pediatrician. We went to the top children's hospital in the area, top um, GI specialists in the area. And m most of them looked at us and just said, well, this is how it is. You know, she's, she's going to have to be on Miralax or, or some sort of, you know, drug to help her indefinitely. And we really, you know, don't think that this is diet related or any, you know, anything of that sort. And just, you know, sorry, but this is all we can do to help her. So, um, you know, we did our due diligence, so to speak, but we just, it, it never sat with us that this was just how it was going to be. You know, it's easy to write off your own symptoms at points, but when you watch your child suffer, there's just nothing worse in my opinion. So uh, that was really the catalyst for, um, I mentioned my husband is a chiropractor. So we had a pretty solid foundation of looking at the body holistically, but we just started researching and going to seminars as much as we could. We had to, you know, kind of get to the bottom of what was causing her symptoms. And then as we, you know, started uncovering this whole world of functional medicine, we realized, oh gosh, you know, my symptoms might be common, but they're not normal. And there's a big distinction there. Even if a lot of people out there have, you know, GI issues, they might be common, but it's not necessarily normal. So, um, you know, I think it might be helpful to pause and I'm going to just define functional medicine because that is really the posture that my husband and I take towards health at this point, at this point. So, Functional medicine is really looking at the root cause of the symptoms that someone is experiencing, not merely just, you know, masking or treating the symptoms, but let, asking the questions of why. Why is this happening? So symptoms are information. They're very important. We cannot ex ignore symptoms, but they offer us information to guide us in the pursuit of overall wellness. So you know, in my opinion, in order to lead long, healthy, and sustainable lives, functional medicine and looking at these root causes of what is causing health concerns is is imperative. So, um, you know, through our daughter's intense struggle, we became trained in functional medicine. My husband quicker than I. So he um, is a chiropractor 
like I've mentioned a few times here. So I would just, I, this all started as me being the, the wife <laughs> and I would go with him to these seminars or we would do, you know, distance learning webinars. And so I was learning right alongside of him. And I, we got to the point a few years in where it was like, well, golly, I might as well have some letters behind my name at this point because I've <laughs> lived through these hundreds of hours of continuing education that my husband's gone through to uncover what is going on with not only my daughter, but myself. And so um, my background is actually in elementary education. Um, that's I went to my husband and I met at Penn State in State College, and we moved out to Iowa. And so I, he, that's where the arguably one of the best chiropractic schools is in the world is where the chiropractic profession began. But anyways, we, I taught elementary school for our years out there while he was in school and then became a mom. And so I know this story's a little all over the place, but um, I thought your listeners might find it <laughs> interesting. Yeah, that no, was my, my background was in elementary education, and so, anyways, you know, it really took this massive health crisis, which we later found out that our daughter was not on the autism spectrum, which we had um, so thought for years and years um, based on her neurological symptoms, but she actually had an autoimmune condition in her brain. Um, and I'm, I'm just going to touch on it because I think that the, these conditions are not spoken of enough. And in the, in, in the grand scheme of things, they're relatively new in the research but they are, it's PANDAS, these are acronyms, and PANS. So PANDAS stands for Pediatric Autoimmune Neuropsychiatric Disorder Associated with Streptococcal Infections. Big math, mouthful. So that's the PANDAS side. And what this is, is an autoimmune attack against the brain, essentially, that's triggered by a strep infection. And very similarly related is PANS, which stands for Pediatric Acute Onset, Onset Neuropsychiatric Syndrome. And this would be a little bit more of a broader term. You know, for us, um, there was strep involved, but we also had, um, she had a tick bite. And we found um, that we had mold in our home and we had moved into that home. She had a tick bite and she had a head injury all within a couple week period. So, I, I share that because I, I have a sense that there's um, little, perhaps moms and little ones out there that might be um, walking through this, and it's just an important thing to shed light on. And, and if you don't mind, I might even just real quickly share what some of those symptoms look like, just because they can so closely resemble um, a kiddo that is on the autism spectrum. Yes, please. Yeah. Yes. So usually the the telltale sign for this condition is an abrupt onset. And for my daughter, this came on very quickly. Um, she was two, actually. So she was, you know, in our opinion, a healthy little girl. And like I said, she had this series of kind of triggering events in her life. And she had this abrupt onset of symptoms. And there's almost always an OCD, an obsessive compulsive disorder component to it. Um, but it's also a lot of anxiety and emotional instability. Um, aggression is huge and severely oppositional behavior. 
um, ticks. You know, ticking is typically associated with the autism spectrum, but for my daughter, she would bang her head, uh, which is a telltale symptom of this as well. Um, bedwetting and frequent urination, sleep troubles and night terrors are really common in these children. Even self-destructive talks and behaviors. Sometimes these kids will have a, a sudden decline in a skill such as their writing or their math skills. Um, sometimes you'll even see anorexia. But these are usually, I mean, it's always a pediatric condition and usually always under the age of 12. Um, but friends, it just, it needs to be spoken of that sometimes this is not really looked at in our healthcare system now. And um, it's speculated that about a, one in 120 kids are falling somewhere on this panda's pants spectrum, so to speak. And, um, you know, without functional medicine and the training that my husband and I have received, we would not have been able to even know that this existed. So I guess all that to say, you know, if you're in, your listeners are in a, in a situation with your, your own health or the health of a loved one, I'm a firm believer that there's always hope for you, no matter how big or how small the symptom is. And I just think that it's important to surround yourself with someone that's going to fight for you and fight for your loved one and, and really get to the bottom of what could be behind those health concerns and symptoms. I can only imagine how difficult it must be as a parent not understanding the difference between what's a tantrum and terrible twos or mm -hmm. just growing and developing and the That's challenges amazing. that we face in new environments because kids are going through so many changes so quickly and then to like something that's a health issue versus something that's you know, an ADHD or autism yeah. spectrum as well. It's so hard to decipher, I would imagine. Yeah, it is. And I wish I could look back and say that I did everything right. You know, there was a time that I thought that it was just behavioral. And <laughs> I regret that because my goodness, like when, <laughs> there's so many components that even contribute to to childhood behaviors you know we can't really separate even like what are the foods that these kids are eating you know what how does that contribute to their brain function or what is the stimulus you know from their video games or you know what whatever it could be you know is there an environmental toxin that they're being exposed to that's impairing the way that their brain is functioning. And I think we need to, it's really important as parents to be asking or, you know, anyone working with children to be asking those questions that quite frankly, aren't asked enough, in my opinion, like what is driving this, you know, looking past the behavior, not that, <laughs> of course, there are, you know, just wrong behaviors, of course, in childhood, but, you know, oftentimes there's something that can be aggravating or triggering that as well that should be looked at. Definitely. And that's the whole premise of your practice. It's like looking at the causes, looking at the root source. Um, well, thank you so much for sharing that. And I feel like it's such an impactful story, especially for parents to hear, because you're right. It is one thing for something to go on in your own body, but it's a, it's a totally different thing when you're when you're dealing with your own child, yeah. because one, like 
you don't know exactly what those symptoms are coming out of and and it can be super scary. So I think that you sharing that story gives everyone a light and and shares the hope and tells them that like there are answers to these things. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. There's hope. So after you found this out and everything and you started doing the research, how long did it take for her to heal and recover and what did that look like? Yeah, so it really in the grand scheme of things, it it was a very step-by-step process actually. It it felt like, you know, okay, so we would attend this you know, certain functional medicine seminar and we would get the next piece, so to speak. And then perhaps, you know, like for diet was really big for her. So that was a a really foundational piece. And that was like the big thing that we studied first. And, you know, even my husband's a certified GAPS practitioner, which is gut and psychology syndrome. So like the, the gut and the brain are intimately connected and how do you support that nutritionally? So that was a big piece and getting that under a belt. But then we had to, you know, go through this whole, you know, detoxification phase because she had, you know, we had uh, Lyme and mold and other immune issues with her. So we needed that, you know, so then, you know, (laughs) maybe another year would go by and then we would get the next piece. So for us, it it did take a little bit longer just because we were learning along the way. Um, But, you know, had we had had all the information, you know, we probably could have, you know, helped facilitate her healing in a much shorter amount of time. And that's kind of what we see with patients at this point at the clinic that, you know, there's, um, you know, we all come into our health journey from different places and different states of health. And some people, it just takes a few months to kind of get right back on track. And sometimes it, you know, might take a year or two. It all depends on kind of where you're at. But thankfully, there's so many tools at this point to get to a good place, all things considered, in in a pretty quick amount of time. I think yeah, everything you're sharing is just super powerful. And I can only imagine, I, I know so many mothers must feel, you know, a little bit hopeless sometimes when their kids are suffering or just people in general when they're suffering from chronic illness and they feel a little hopeless because they're having, you know, these issues and they're going to the doctors and nothing's really ever being resolved. Yeah. I'm wondering what your thoughts are on if someone is, you know, having these experiences with themselves or with their children, what would you advise them to do as like initial steps to take a step towards the direction of healing? Yeah, Casey, I think that's such a great question. And I, I certainly don't want to knock conventional medicine in that I think there is such value to be had. And when I say conventional and, you know, the, the mainstream healthcare system, but I do think that there's a lot of really broken pieces to it. And so you know, if I'm in a car accident, I want the best surgeon and the best drugs available. Like there is absolutely a time and place, but there's also this whole, I think, broken element where, you know, our, our doctors aren't looking and they, they're very driven by, you know, drugs and, and pharmaceuticals and, and just aren't really looking deeply enough. So I think, um, you know, if you have unresolved health concerns, finding a functional medicine practitioner, at least to have in your toolbox is is super important. They're going to be able to look, um, maybe I can give an example here. So, you know, we are really driven by 
what we call functional lab testing. So we love running labs and, you know, getting objective testing on paper to know what is happening within the physiology of the body. So for example, you know, we might run um, a thyroid panel or we do on, on pretty much everyone that comes in our door and along with a whole bunch of other things. But, you know, our the conventional system might look at, you know, one or two thyroid markers, TSH being probably the main one, and using that as their diagnostic tool. And, oh, your TSH is fine. It's, it's within lab range. You're, you're fine. You know, but the, the patient might be really concerned with that and have blaringly obvious thyroid symptoms. You know, their hair's falling out. They're extremely fatigued. They might have weight loss resistance when they're, you know, oh, no, you, you know, you, you're... TSH is fine. Well, for us, we we run 10 to 12 lab markers on the thyroid alone, which is for the most part more than, you know, a standard doc would, would look at. But then within that, we have to even consider what those lab ranges might be. You know, we have, you know, TSH, for example, typically they would say if it's below five, you're fine. You don't have a thyroid concern. And the problem that I believe, you know, that we're looking at this wrongly in this circumstance would be like, first of all, those lab markers are, are really measured against a a population that overall is sick. You know, I think it's not hard to look at our society and realize that there's a lot of sick people. So for if we're looking at, you know, sick people for our lab ranges, that's kind of the first kind of red flag for me. And then secondly, you know, I, we like to describe it, you know, you're driving down the road and let's say there's a cliff. <laughs> I want to have a really nice, healthy median there and a really big guardrail so that I'm not going to go over that cliff. And the cliff in, in this circumstance would be a disease state. You know, okay, well, you know what, Ashley, your thyroid, your TSH is um, 4.9. You're, you're totally fine. You don't, you know, we might want to, you know, recheck it in a year, but you're within the lab range. And so, Functional medicine, we would say, no, 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 no. We want, it, we want that range to be much more narrow so that if we start to deviate from the road and get closer to that cliff, we're going to have well warning. We're going to have adequate time to readjust the body before you're over that cliff and in, you know, in this case, having thyroid disease. So I, I think you know, really getting, (laughs) again, just not settling for not having answers is a really important thing. You know, always digging and and being your own advocate or your child's advocate or your spouse's that, you know, whoever it is, getting to the bottom of what might be driving that. And hopefully that may puts that, you know, into light of, you know, obviously conventional medicine can be wonderful and we're thankful for it. But kind of give the argument of why we might want to look a little bit beyond that as well. Yeah, I think that's unbelievably powerful, everything that you're saying. And I think also a lot of the work that you do personally, um, like your book is an extension of this. This is, you know, a lot of things people can do just in their home. Um, Can you speak a little bit about that and your book and inspiration for that? 
Yeah, so my book is um, really, again, like this beautiful thing that came out of really a hard time. So the book is is mostly an elimination style diet. Um, so, you know, when we look at nutrition, there's a lot of um, foods that can be triggering, so to speak, or inflammatory. And uh, we like to take those out for a period, you know, eliminate those for the time being. So a lot of people have been found to react to things like conventional dairy, gluten, and other grains, eggs, nuts and seeds, even nightshades. So really what it does is takes away um, corn. So I didn't mention those. Corn and soy are big ones and a lot of food additives and, you know, just colorings and chemicals that are put in our food, all those really are damaging on our bodies. So removing those for a time being, focusing on a really nutrient-dense whole food diet really can just so incredibly decrease the inflammation within the body and decrease symptoms, a lot of symptoms. So these could be GI-related, but it could be brain related. I even talked about real briefly mentioned at the beginning of our time together that the gut and the brain are intimately connected. So I like to say, and in and, and the world of functional medicine, it's kind of said, if your gut is on fire, your brain's going to be on fire. You know, if there's inflammation in your gut, if you have gut symptoms, you're probably going to have brain symptoms or conversely, you you know, if you're having major brain symptoms, you're probably going to see that a little bit in the gut. So really the the book, the whole first part of it is just how to walk through this elimination diet to kind of restore nutrition and nutrient deficiencies within the body, hopefully decrease or eliminate gut symptoms, brain symptoms, you know, bring healing to the gut. You know, leaky gut is a big area of conversation and rightly so, because it's so important. Um, It's long been speculated that all disease begins in the gut. And so that is a big piece, you know, restoring gut function through this elimination diet. Um, But there's also in the, I should also say, I've had people come back and say, oh my goodness, this is like a textbook. It's actually a 416 or 20 page book. So the whole other piece is the lifestyle. You know, it's not just about we what we put in our body. Food is medicine. It's crucial. But then how we steward our bodies and take care of our bodies, the environment that we put our bodies in is equally as healing and important as well. So we talk a lot about reducing the toxic load in our environment. So there's a whole section on that. There's, um, I (laughs) do a lot of homemade, like personal care and beauty items. So there's all those recipes in there and just how to, you know, manage stress. And again, you know, if we're in a stressed out state, physiologically, we are not going to be able to heal. You know, the food isn't going to be able to be digested. You know, we're just going to set ourselves up for issues there. So there's just an abundance of ideas and inspiration how to really care for your body, whether it's, you know, stress management or sleep or exercise, what have you, even down to, you know, how you cook the food that you have, you know, making sure that you're using non-toxic 
cookware and things like that to really all promote healing and wellness. I love that. And we will include the links to your books in the show notes as well so everybody can check it out. I know I definitely want to check out a copy of your book. Casey, I'm so jealous that you already have it. (laughs) Guys, I can honestly say it's the most beautiful book and the information inside is incredible. So I highly recommend. Thank you. Yeah. Truly. It's a labor of love. (laughs) (laughs) And you have two books and then you also, do you do the photography for your books as well? I do. So I, I'm a, I'm a strange personality. I love, love, love being nerdy and delving into PubMed and the scientific literature, but I'm completely fueled by creativity as well. So um, <laughs> I just absolutely adore creating and the photography for the book and Instagram, you know, wherever even our blog and and through the clinic has just been a gift to be able to express creative juices a little bit too. So I love that. You're such a left brain and right brain person and I am as well. I have (laughs) so much creativity in myself. Love it. Mm -hmm. And did you self-publish the book or did you publish it through a company? We actually did self-publish. I had two publishers that I really thought we were going to go with one of them. And it really just came down to wanting to say what I wanted to say (laughs) and not be told what I could say, if that makes sense. Um, I wanted, you know, that there was the argument, well, this could be two books and you could, you know, make more money and da, da, da. And I'm like, no, (laughs) it needs to be one guide for many reasons. Like it just needs to be all in one place that people can pay once and have my brain, so to speak on, you know, and, and really what my family has done to, to, and what we recommend to our patients. So, um, we did self-publish. I still am glad that we did. Um, I'm actually working on a second cookbook now, and I really think we're going to self-publish again just because it gives my voice more authenticity, in my opinion. And um, it's just been a really fun thing for our family to do, even together. I mentioned I homeschool my girls, so they're very much involved in a lot of the aspects, you know, from you know, obviously helping me prepare the food to helping me style the photos, or even at this point, you know, helping me with, you know, making sure that our shipping and all of that is going smoothly. So um, I think it's been a great educational experience for our entire family as well. Oh, that's so cool. I'm sure they have so much to look up to. <laughs> Did you have any hesitations or nervousness about putting your work out there as a book? Absolutely. Oh, my. I still do. I'm still – it's still completely nerve-wracking. And I think there can be some controversial things that I've written about. Nothing, you know, too earth-shattering. But still, you know, there's there's things in there that that a publisher probably would have been like, I don't know if that was wise, but – uh, you know, I'm I'm really um, glad it's there because it, the whole book started really from my husband and I's desire to be able to give something beautiful and of 
super high quality to every patient that comes in the door. And so that's how it started. And so really when I, I step back and think what I want my patient or my husband's patient, or we have another doc, Dr. Mike's patient, would I, would I be proud of this content and would I want them to know this? And, and, and that's a resounding yes. So um, that is definitely um, offers uh, that that's encouraging to me, but also, you know, we had, we hired an editor and we had nine different sets of eyes on the content of the book before we went to print. And, um, you know, we have found typos, <laughs> like there are mistakes, even despite what we thought was a really thorough editing process. So, you know, my encouragement to anyone who is an entrepreneur or even a writer, um, you know, we are human <laughs> and the people that you're surrounding yourself, you know, to put a project out there are also human and there's going to be mistakes. And so I've had to learn to um, lighten up a little bit and still be proud of my work. And, you know, we, now we just have a bookmark that we put in, <laughs> you know, between the, the, our now and our next print run when they'll all be fixed. But we have a bookmark and here, you know, here's a couple typos we found. Thank you for your graciousness. And, you know, that's how we've handled it. So, yeah, it's scary. But. I think it's still worth it in the end to self-publish. Absolutely. I think it's just so incredible that you had the strength to do that. And I am so proud of you <laughs> in the process that you did. And I'm a corporate attorney, so the way I think about self-publishing is that you retained not only control of what you were writing and sharing mm -hmm. and putting out into the world, but you also retain all of the future rights yes. to your artwork and mm -hmm. whether that be just through control or compensation, yeah. which is yeah. really big. Yeah. Yeah. You could probably teach me a lot more about that. <laughs> <laughs> um, you spoke a little bit about your team. You had an editor and mm -hmm. nine people who reviewed it. What yeah. was your team like? Did you hire any other help and what was the self-publishing process like? Yeah. So um, like I said, it Doing it the second time now, I feel like it's much more straightforward for me. Um, so it was a really high learning curve with just even like how I went about, because really what I did, I kind of like, <laughs> I've lived this lifestyle for so long at this point, eaten a certain way for so long. And, and I, again, being the creative, I'm, that's how I am in the kitchen. So like, I just cook. And like, I don't write anything down. I don't even really measure usually. So it was almost working backwards to record <laughs> how I measure things or what I did. So that was a big learning curve. Obviously, um, I did all the photography. So like the very like recipe development and photography, the creative process was all me. The two people that were significant pieces of my team would be the graphic designer and the editor and um, the other eight, seven, eight sets of eyes that were on it were um, just friends and people that were testing the recipes for me um, and family members of just, hey, can you look this over? Hey, can you make this recipe? to make sure, you know, that, that was one of my biggest fears. You know, I'm, <laughs> I'm a trained clinician. I am not a trained chef. I've, I've just done this for so long and I'm, 
creative and I love to eat. So that's, that's the only training I've had. <laughs> so speaking to fears, it's always like, oh man, you know, it was so delicious in my kitchen. Did it turn out delicious in yours? You know, so mm-hmm. a big confidence booster was having um, actually some trained chefs testing some of the recipes as well. So um, we didn't have a huge team, but the people that we had, oh, they were gifts. They are, I'm very grateful for them. That's incredible. I'm just so blown away. Was it a long couple years process or mm-hmm. how long did it take you from when you really started to work backwards and create mm-hmm. plans for the recipes and everything to publishing? Yeah. Such a hard question. Uh, once we put the stake in the ground, it was definitely over a year. Um, but man, I mean, I'm talking like we're talking 12, 15 years of experience too that went into the content. So um, it's just been, again, just like a labor of love, like a life project. You know, you just learn through living and experiencing and then having walked through through something as a mom, then as a clinician, and then as the creative behind it. It's been years and years. But once we put the stake in the ground again, and it was like my husband and I being like, you know what, we don't know where this is going, but we know that we need to put something beautiful in our patient's hands and that I have the capacity to do that. So when we decided that, it was definitely over a year, probably about a year and a half. And do you have any tips for people who want to self-publish their first book? Or do you have any resources that you'd recommend for someone self-publishing? I would – I don't I, I don't have any resources. That's the tricky part. There, there isn't – at least that I know of. Maybe there is stuff about how to um, self-publish. I would say the biggest thing is just knowing where you are – where you're gifted and where you're not and really, you know, using whatever budget that you have wisely to, you know, if you're not gifted in a certain way, like, again, I have typos because I'm human and my editor's human, you know, (laughs) Um, but I, I can't, like, I'll read a sentence even on my blog, like I need help because I'll read and then my brain just puts in what I meant to say. <laughs> I needed somebody to help me find the typos, you know? So maybe, maybe you're not a creative, but maybe you, you know, know somebody who is creative and use your money that way. Um, we also used Kickstarter for our pre-order campaign, so to speak. So it's very expensive to self-publish up front. And if you don't have the funds, I would highly recommend using a platform like Kickstarter. There's probably other ones out there, but we've had some other friends have very successful campaigns through Kickstarter. So we just um, kind of took a leap of faith and we had a video made and put up pre-order, just our pre-order. So that way people could you know, buy one copy, two copies, 10 copies, whatever they wanted. And then uh, we were able to take the money and then that covered our first print run, so to speak. And so that way we could, you know, for, I think for us, it was $20,000 to get, you know, a book of my length. And I really wanted it to be hardcover and just a really beautiful, almost heirloom piece that, 
um, it's going to have longevity. So, you know, depending on what your project is, you might have a different budget, but definitely using some sort of crowdfunding can be helpful in those initial first steps. I'm so appreciative that you shared the number behind how much it costs to self-publish because I think those are truly the things that don't people don't talk about enough and people don't share enough. Was there a certain quantity that you had that you self-published for your mm-hmm. first order? We did 1500 books and I should say that 20 grand was only for the books. We obviously paid the editor and the graphic designer. Those were big things and like props and food and all that obviously could arguably be in, equated in that in that final um, you know whatever that number ended up being <laughs> um, oh yeah so we did the 1500 to begin with of course the more you order the less it is per book and it's just kind of one of those things that you're gonna have to weigh you know who your audience is and and what would be a realistic number to sell. We did that initial 1500 and um, I don't know the exact number, but we are approaching, it'll be a year, like very end of May is when we, we got the, that initial print run in. And I would anticipate we're going to be about at that 1500 book mark at that point. Again, it all depends on what the sales do, but we didn't really know how long that would take <laughs> to go through those books, but we are looking towards the next print run here soon. That's so exciting. Mm-hmm. I'm so proud of you. <laughs> I just can't wait for your next book to come out. Thank I can't you. wait to get your first book. Everything will be linked in the show notes, so you guys just have to check it out. Both the photography of the book and her Instagram are just so incredible. It's at Dr. Ashley Turner, and we'll include it in the show notes. But I know we have we took a detour into self-publishing, which I think is super helpful for so many entrepreneurs because there's a lot of fear around self-publishing and needing to get a publicist to be able to share your work and a lot of unknowns about what the process is like. So that was incredibly valuable to our audience. But I know we have some questions that we received as well when we asked our audience what those questions would be. So Lindsay and Casey, do you want to ask those questions as well? Definitely. So someone asked, someone asked what are good supplements for someone to take on an everyday basis to advocate for like well-rounded health? Hmm. I get asked this question almost on a daily basis and I wish (laughs) I could just say, oh, X, Y, Z, you know, but it's, it's a little more difficult for me to say that. And, and, and perhaps it's just because of the training that I have because I'm like, oh yeah, vitamin D, everyone's deficient in that. But not necessarily because if you get too much, then, you know, it's an endocrine. There's an endocrine component to that and it too much of anything can be not so good. So I love to recommend things that are going to support the gut and digestion because if you are focusing on, and I hope you are, like a, a good nutrient-dense whole foods diet, being able to digest and assimilate those nutrients is going to be so helpful for you. And like I mentioned before, you know, if there if there's any compromise within the gut or the microbiome, which is the all of the flora and beneficial bacteria that make 
up somebody, you know, that is where true health is really going to stem from. So um, probiotics are really a great place to start. You know, they help, again, you know, 80% of our immune system is in the gut and even supporting the immune system is a big deal in our world right now with the virus and everything that's happening. And so, you know, supporting the gut is going to directly impact your immune system. So probiotics are not all created equal. Um, so to just to go into like a CVS or Target and get one, I typically am a little bit hesitant to recommend that, you know, because a lot of them are needing to be, you know, in a, a temperature controlled environment. Like we just don't know what has happened to that probiotic, you know, from the time that it left the manufacturer till the time it got there. Um, so I would say, you know, do some research. I've written about this in other places you know, to make sure you're really getting a good one. Soil-based organisms are great. Spore-based uh, probiotics are great. And, and I should say from a clinical standpoint, um, we often rotate probiotics with our clients and patients because, um, again, we want to just diversify what those probiotic strains are and, and just continuing to you know support the gut in that way. Um, digestive enzymes are also really helpful for just making sure that you're breaking down the food adequately. Um, we live in a very stressed out world. <laughs> and when we are eating, we're oftentimes in a stress state just by the way our culture is. You know, we might sit in front of the computer or Instagram or the news and, and eat or, you know, eating on the fly, you know, driving from one thing to the next or whatnot. Um, and there's, there needs to be, um, you know, in my opinion, we, we should approach you know, food from a relaxed and grateful state. Um, obviously, that's going to impact how our physiology prepares to eat. You know, if we are stressed, our stomach acid is not going to be as robust. And that's the first, you know, kind of mechanism that is going to touch our food. And then we aren't going to have digestive enzymes that we need to break down that food. So, um, you know, even before we even talk about supplementing, I would say, you know, think about how you're approaching your meal or your food. Hopefully you're making a wise decision on what that food actually is. Um, but regardless, you know, to be able to digest and assimilate and nurture your gut even through the digestive process, um, you know, taking some deep breaths you know, making sure you're not in front of a lot of stimulating things that, you know, news, Instagram, Facebook, whatever, and just really, you know, having an embodied approach to how you're coming to that meal. That's going to help your, you know, making sure you're chewing your food. That's going to help the whole digestion is a top-down process. So if you're not relaxed, the whole rest of the process isn't going to go so well. If you're not chewing your food, you know, that is going to signal for, digestive enzymes to be released and your stomach acid to start working. And so, you know, again, each piece of that puzzle is super important. So I oftentimes will recommend digestive enzymes, even to have those on hand if you are eating and you know that you have a food sensitivity, but maybe you are going to be exposed to something that you might, that might not agree with you or might not be ideal. That can be a super helpful one. And then just as far as, you know, a good whole foods multivitamin oftentimes is really helpful. Um, but again, I would kind of 
preface all of the, when I get into like vitamins and minerals and nutrition, nutrient supplementation, I do get a little bit hesitant and making a blanket statement about that just because everybody is different. And even from a genetic standpoint, you know, what could work for someone might not work for the next and what somebody might be deficient in, you might not be. So, you know, that is where, you know, functional medicine shines just to make sure you're not even like wasting money on supplements that your body just doesn't need. That's really expensive urine (laughs) in my opinion. If you're, if you're not going to be using a supplement, your body's just going to excrete it. So, um, yeah, hopefully that answers the question. Definitely. So it may be helpful for someone, even if they aren't suffering with chronic illness, to visit an FMD just to cover all their bases and make sure that their body is in like a really good place. They're not deficient in anything. There's absolutely, absolutely. Awesome. And I would say it's rare that we ever have, we've never, I should say, run a set of labs, which are going to be super thorough we've never run something and not had something at least small to work on with somebody. You know, there's, even if you don't have symptoms, it's just setting yourself up for success in the future. Definitely. And then we also had a question. What does the restorative health diet look like? So I think that you mentioned this a little bit earlier, but I'd love for you to go into a little bit more detail on what does the anti-inflammatory elimination diet that you were mentioning, um, what does that look like? Yeah, it's so funny. People have started calling it the restorative diet, which makes me smile. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So it really is, you know, when you you can even get on, and this is not unique necessarily to me. There's different flavors of it. Um, You know, it's known as the elimination diet. It's also known as autoimmune protocol or autoimmune paleo, and and it's not just for an autoimmune disease or a chronic illness sort of scenario. Um, what I like to say is it's really um, an anti-inflammatory diet. So it is going to remove all triggers, and I'll go through those again. So it would be gluten and grains, um, conventional dairy, eggs, nuts and seeds, nightshades. Nightshades would be things like tomatoes and eggplants and peppers. Um, Again, food additives, sugars, you know, all these things. Um, Also corn, soy, these these things in the diet can, depending on the individual, promote inflammation within the body, within the gut, within the brain. And in so doing, so take those out for a period of time. Now, depending on where you're coming to this from, if you're an overall healthy person that doesn't really have tons of complaints, I would say, you know, 21 days, about three weeks is probably fine for you. Um, Someone that has severe autoimmune disease or chronic illness, it might be a six month journey. It could be a year. You might find that you feel best on it and you don't want to ever go off of it. Uh, but it is not meant for the long term. So the beauty really comes in when you go to reintroduce those trigger foods in. And I outline this very clearly within the book because this is 
It offers such powerful information for your particular body better than almost anything out there. Now, in our practice, we run food sensitivity testing all the time, but I'm telling you guys that <laughs> you can do this for free if you're just, you know, want to put in some effort to, you know, abiding by this elimination diet because when you go to add in something, so let's say you go to add in eggs and you're totally fine, but you go to add in dairy and you notice uh, your acne comes back or your psoriasis or, you know, you get severe diarrhea or constipation or whatever it is, you're going to, that that's going to be speak very clearly to you that your body doesn't do well with dairy. And that's probably either there needs to be more gut healing that needs to happen or perhaps dairy just isn't your friend and that's something that you have learned about your body. So that, again, it's not supposed to be this long-term thing. It can be. It's it's a nutrient-dense diet. You're going to not be lacking anything if, if you decide to stay on this for the long term. But um, I really, we often encourage people to to try to add things in so that you learn about your body and that you're empowered to move forward with information and making the best decisions for your particular body. I think that's super powerful. And I love that, you know, it is something that people can try at home too. Yeah. And um, so and it really do does, sorry to interrupt you, but I didn't no. really say like, what do you eat? I mean, so <laughs> um, good <laughs> like pasture raised quality meats and seafood. Um, I am not a proponent for a vegan diet for a long term. It can be helpful, but um, there are really specific amino acids and, and, and nutrients that come from animal sources that are actually really healing. It just, you need to make sure that you're sourcing it appropriately. So like we say, good grass-fed beef, you know, is going to be a completely different food than just going to your store and getting, you know, a conventional piece of steak. Um, So focusing on those quality animal products, organic fruits and veggies, there's a lot of wonderful things that are still included in the diet. We use alternative sweeteners, so um, like coconut sugar and coconut nectar, are usually really well tolerated. I also love monk fruit. A lot of people struggle with blood sugar regulation and monk fruit is not going to spike blood sugars. Um, That's a a sweetener that we use probably primarily, but also things like raw honey and maple syrup, like all those things are are fair game. Um, Using alternative flours for baking. um, My dinner roll recipe is the highlight. They are so delicious and they are you made with plantains and cassava flour, um, and they're to die for. And it, they're delicious, and you would never know that you were eating something that wasn't gluten or dairy or whatever filled. Um, so just it, it really is just shifting what – using alternatives, you know, maybe choosing – coconut oil versus, you know, like a canola or like a conventional seed oil, things like that. So um, there's a lot of really wonderful nutrient-dense foods. And um, so far, nobody has felt deprived. And there's a whole dessert section that is lovely as well. So (laughs) 
Oh my God, yum. My mouth is watering. (laughs) Especially with that dinner roll. It sounds delicious. Yeah. That also kind of plays into one of the questions we got because someone had asked um, kind of your thoughts around like diet culture and fads and stuff like that. And I think that that's something that's so prevalent in today's society. There's just so much wellness information that's like inundated, these all different diets and all that kind of stuff. So I feel like, you know, your approach is like whole locally, you know, sourced foods, stuff like that. I think I'd love to speak into this. And I actually do have a a history of an eating disorder when I was a teenager. So I think being very, very mindful of our bodies is so important. And I think that honoring our body as a as, as beautiful as something that works, even if we have symptoms, like our body has the capability to heal. So looking at our bodies with gratitude, um, I often will recommend, you know, if you're a praying person or just a meditative soul, going over the parts of your body and just being grateful (laughs) and meditating on the beauty and the goodness that is your body. Um, and, and that can so easily translate into, you know, the foods that we're eating and, you know, being grateful and looking at food even as what it is. So food is nourishment, obviously foods, information for our body foods, connection, like in a perfect world, we're connecting over food Food is medicine. Um, And so as we're looking at um, our food, we need to obviously be approaching it with gratitude. But, you know, considering, you know, I really don't love the word diet, (laughs) Um, but looking at, um, you know, this piece of food, is this going to give me life? Is this life giving to me? And 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 I think deep down we're gonna know <laughs> where that line is, and that line's gonna be different for everybody. You know, if you have a known dairy sensitivity or gluten sensitivity, you're gonna know that that food is not necessarily going to give you life because it's probably gonna give you symptoms. You know what I mean? Um, and if we come to a place, even I think as we're focusing on whether it's our food our body, the messages that we're being fed, whether that's, you know, in your social media feed or your, what you're consuming, you know, TV, movies, etc. And, and stepping back and thinking, is this a life-giving message for my soul? Is this a life-giving message for my body right now? Um, and I think it, it, it's, it's a discipline to really have an embodiment where we're really kind of metacognizant of what our surroundings are, if that makes sense, from our physical body to our nourishment to the external um, noise. And we need to be filtering and, and surrounding and feeding and nourishing ourselves and our bodies with things that are beautiful and life-giving and true. So I don't know if that even answers. Yes, definitely. Diet culture, but I think there needs to be a perspective shift. My writing, my work is not about a pant size or 
a number on a scale. It's about health and wellness. And I believe, you know, if, if your body needs to lose weight, the weight will come off if you're stewarding it well. If it doesn't, it won't. And, and that's because that's what your body needs. I love that. I love that. It comes from a very nourishing and loving standpoint. And I believe that our bodies are just going to function better if that's, we can't be at war with our body. We can't be at war with our diet and our food and our scale or whatever, our body image, like we have to be nurturing and tender. And I do believe that our, our very, I mean, research shows this, our cells respond (laughs) to what we are thinking and feeling and what we're consuming. So don't ever underestimate what those messages are that are coming in and be your own advocate to tell yourself that you are beautiful and you are healthy and you're getting healthier and and whatever it is. So love yourself that way. (laughs) I'm so glad you touched on that because truly the attitude that you adopt with respect to food and your health I think if you make those nourishing, loving changes where you're coming from a place of nourishment and love, it's going to expand so far beyond your relationship with food to just a way of life that you have overall. And it's going to impact your success in your career mm-hmm. and achieving your dreams. And Absolutely. you know, focusing small on your food is such a great way to start too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Absolutely. I feel like there's been so many powerful messages, especially that last one. I think that's just so important for women to hear. And I just really appreciate and love your viewpoint on that because I I agree. It just needs to be like a societal shift that we need to, you know, get to that place as a whole. But I mean, do you girls have any more questions? Yeah, um, I'm wondering because a lot of people are at home nowadays and because your regular is usually homeschooling, I'm just wondering what a day in your guys' house looks like so really maximize their days and make them happy and whole. Yeah, absolutely. So I think, well, my day starts the night before, so really fostering a good night's rest. Um, It's been a little bit easier during this um, season, but um, I always, I mean, sleep is foundational to overall health, so making sure um, that I'm planning for that (laughs) as the evening rolls around and, you know, I'm limiting my my blue light exposure and screen time for an hour or two before bed and, you know, just spending time with my husband, breathing deeply, really fostering um, my body's hormonal shift to sleep. And when I sleep well, I'm more apt to wake up even before my kids. And I do most days start with um, time of gratitude and stillness. Um, I'm, I'm a praying person, so I will pray over my day. I typically do some stretching and maybe I'll work out at that point or maybe I'll save that for later, but definitely some sort of movement, um, yoga, stretching, whatever that looks like. And ideally this happens before my kids wake up. And if not, they just come in and they join me. So they, they you know, they might you know, do some stretching with me or, you know, whatever, I'll encourage them to get out a journal and write 
down things that they're grateful for. Um, I just want to get my my spirit in a good place. And I know gratitude is one of the best ways to shift our physiology. So I definitely begin and end my day with gratitude. Um, now for me personally, I most days do intermittent fasting, which is sort of shortening my eating window. So I don't eat breakfast most days. I have a good organic cup of coffee that is mold-free, and I'll put uh, occasionally some MCT oil in it. And um, that's like a, a good kind of refined coconut oil that really just gives your brain energy and kind of helps your metabolism to be in a really good fat burning state in the morning. So that's how I start my day. And I um, cook breakfast with my girls. Um, I love having my girls in the kitchen with me and just training them on life skills. So we have chickens in our backyard. So typically they're going out first thing and getting eggs. And oftentimes that's part of our our morning meal, um, but whatever it is, my kids start with typically a, a really nutrient dense meal. Um, I don't do we don't do lots of sugary things just because it, it it's not necessary, <laughs> in my opinion. Um, we do good proteins, and then we homeschool. So um, we this has been a part of our our daily rhythm for a long time. And I know a lot of people that has been sprung upon them relatively quickly here. Um, But we have a pretty restful approach to our education. We're pretty literature driven. So we spend a lot of time. um, We often actually end up back in my bed, snuggled up, reading um, various books um, to drive our homeschool. That's kind of our morning time. And we, that's our basis. So we're reading really great works of literature, maybe studying some art, um, studying composers and music study. Like that's all happening in my bed. Sometimes we're in our jammies still, sometimes we're not. <laughs> um, and, and that's just been such a gift even now because it's grounded us and we're cuddling, we're touching, we're just close. And we're, again, consuming things that are beautiful and life-giving. And um, from there, then, um, they usually break out and do some independent work. Oftentimes, that's when I'll do a workout, like an at-home, like, hit exercise. Or we have a at-home CrossFit gym, pretty much. <laughs> My husband's big into CrossFit, so I'll do some sort of workout, and usually I'll get in the sauna. We, we own a sauna that's just part of you know, we were blessed to be able to have that. That was a big piece in our healing journey. So that's the kind of detox. We don't do that every day, but sometimes my girls will get in and that usually brings us to lunchtime. Um, we have a lot. We either do like soups or salads or smoothies most days for lunch. Um, again, just focusing on like really good nutrient dense foods. Uh, my girls have learned a lot of knife skills over the years as age appropriate. So like typically they're, you know, I might be, you know, in the shower or something and they're, you know, my older two are 
super safe in the kitchen and they'll maybe chopping up the veggies for lunch or whatever it is. But they're again, invited into the kitchen and, um, we'll talk, you know, casually about like, you know, you know, what, you know, protein is and how that's helpful for their body or, you know, Oh, did you know, carrots have beta carotene in them and that's good for whatever, you know, so that we, we talk about our food and I use that as an educational experience. Um, and then the afternoons, I've always done this. It's always a time of quiet. (laughs) The longer, the better in my opinion, but you know, at least a half hour to two hours, like whatever your kids can handle. Like we have had mandatory quiet time. So my big girls, they'll either finish up with some of their schoolwork or they will be reading silently. Um, my youngest usually is totally fine. And again, like this has taken time to kind of instill this, but she'll either sit down with a stack of picture books or a game or just her dollies or whatever. And, and that is our quiet time. And that really helps me to kind of refocus and breathe and gives them time to do the same. (laughs) And so that's when I might do some work or, you know, respond to emails or make sure that I have my Instagram post or work on a blog or whatever. Um, And sometimes I don't do any work. It kind of depends on on the day, but I might do something creative because I'm fueled by creativity. Um, And that's typically a significant portion of our afternoon. And um, again, like dinner time rolls around and we're all kind of, you know, those it's, it's not set in stone, but you know, usually there's one or two or three girls in there helping me because that's just what we do. We we make a good dinner and um, most nights, well, now my husband's home almost every, you know, the clinic is open shorter hours. So we're, we're having family meal time, which I, it's just a cherished gift. I think um, family meals have been underrated as by our society at large. And, you know, not to be legalistic about it, I do think that it is important for families to carve out time to be together. And that's actually my other book is Cultivating the Restorative Table. And it's just um, really inspiration for creating meaningful meal times. And a huge chunk of it is just discussion and conversation starters um, to really kind of teach our kids, you know, what, how to have adult conversations, how to open our hearts and, and share our thoughts and ideas. And I just think that, that, um, and, and, and really just to draw our family's hearts together um, as we do life together. So um, that's, that's, and that takes us up till, you know, my girls still go to bed a little early, usually about eight o'clock. Um, so after dinner, we, you know, we try to do something that is, again, like bonding as a family, whether that's a card game or a board game, the weather's turning nice here. So we, we might go on a walk, um, but we try to just have that window of time together as just intentional family time. And then it's, you know, bedtime and <laughs> time to wind down for the day. So that's a, a typical, ideal day in the life of, of the Turner family. Oh my gosh, that's incredible. And where can everybody find you so that they can follow along on your journey? So I'm pretty active on Instagram at Dr. Ashley Turner. 
Um, we have Restorative Wellness Center. Is That's where I started blogging. So that's just where we've continued our blog. And it's primarily functional medicine and recipes and whatnot. So restorativewellnesscenter.com. Um, there's a wealth of information there. I actually have my own personal website is drashleyturner.com. And there's a shop there with my books and some other, you know, health-related things. And I also have a resources tab. You know, a lot of people say, oh, you know, what's your favorite cassava flour? What um, do you use for your EMF protection? Or what do you do? You know, what salt lamp do you have? You know, all that. So I, I have a lot of just good resources and, like, favorite products and, and food sourcing, like where – some of the places I shop and order things. So there's quite a bit of information there as well. So, and I have Facebook, Facebook, Dr. Ashley Turner as well. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much. My last and final question is, will you please come on the podcast and let us know when you launch your third book so that we can shout it out from the rooftop? I would love to. I would love to. I'm saying this is going to be the more fun book. So um, you know, the restorative kitchen is is designed to, for healing. And it, of course, like I said, it's, it's full of delicious food and wonderful things. My second book is our traditions, kind of the, the recipes that are make our holidays and um, just our everyday life special, you know, the rhythms of life um, kind of recipes. So they're more celebratory and uh, it's a fun project. So I'm excited for that one too. (laughs) Us too. We can't wait. Well, thank you so, so much for joining us. Thank you for all the valuable information honesty and authenticity that you shared with our audience we so appreciate it of course thank you thanks so much for having me this was so amazing yes thank you so so much so fun to connect with y'all likewise Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to this episode. I hope you found it as equally valuable as we did. If you liked this episode, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. You'll be entered to win our giveaway for one free month at Flourish, so don't miss out. If you would like to follow us at Flourish, it's at Flourish Westchester on Instagram. I'm at Casey Flew on Instagram. Lindsay's at Sweet Green Soul on Instagram. Laura's at Laura M. DeFrancesco. Yes, and be sure that you include your Instagram handle or however we can contact you in your review so that we can make sure that we give you your winnings if you win. And then also so that we can give you a shout out and be sure to share it to your stories, share all about the Flourish We Grow Together podcast. Thanks guys. See ya. Thanks y'all. See you at the next episode. company. I'm Lardy Francesco, founder and CEO of Dean Street Law. It's a corporate law firm that helps you with everything corporate law and has tons of free resources and guides on our website. 
that you can find everything from protecting your company from liability, forming a startup, and the different types of entities, all the way to intellectual property and social media. So if you'd like some free information on the legal aspects of your business, head over to deanstreetlaw.com, and you can also find us on Instagram at deanstreetlaw. We provide a lot of free information, and always feel free to reach out to us if you have any questions. Thank you, everybody, for joining us this week. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thanks, guys.